Hello again. We are now continuing with the second part of chapter two in our readings from the book What is Man, Adam, Alien or Ape? So we're going to start halfway through chapter two and see how we get on. Subheading, The Self-Creating Universe Allow me to repeat in part the Stephen Hawking quote that heads this chapter. Quote, Because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Close quote. This, in a nutshell, is the latest atheist answer to the awkward scientific fact that the universe almost certainly began. Cosmologist Lawrence Krauss endorses and elaborates the idea in his own book, A Universe from Nothing, subtitled Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. And no one seems to have noticed that by proposing a DIY, do-it-yourself, universe, Hawking, among others, is quietly shelving earlier claims that the cosmos didn't have a beginning, and conceding that it did. So how exactly did something emerge from nothing? It all turns on the meaning of nothing, of course of which there are two distinctly different definitions. To the proponents of a DIY cosmos, nothing is simply a vacuum within the space-time continuum of the universe. Although such a vacuum is in a space from which all matter and radiation has been removed, it is by no means empty. It contains its own energy, and according to latest ideas, it is awash with an ocean of Higgs bosons, the same, the misnamed God particle detected by the CERN Large Hadron Collider during 2011 uh, to 2013. The Higgs particle hinders the movement of other particles and thus imparts to them the property of mass. Uh, think of this Higgs field as a kind of cosmic treacle or syrup. Open a tin of treacle and push a spoon into the viscous liquid and try to pull it out again. The spoon feels much heavier than it did when you picked it up from the table because you are now working against the viscous drag of the treacle. Thus, says the standard model of particle physics, the Higgs field bestows mass on any particle that interacts with it, although some, such as photons, don't interact and therefore have no mass. But before we go any further, let me also point out that a Hawking-Krauss kind of nothing can only exist within the space-time continuum of an existing universe. Uh, 
It has physical attributes like dimensions and volume. It has an intrinsic energy that causes so-called virtual particles to pop into existence momentarily in the form of particle-antiparticle pairs and then vanish again by mutual annihilation. Also, crucially, the normal laws of physics operate within this vacuum, so that nothing can only be found inside an existing universe and has arrived far too late to create one. A genuine uh, creatio ex nihilo creation from nothing requires a completely different kind of nothing. As I pointed out in Who Made God in 2009, well before the Hawking and Melodinov 2010 or the Krauss 2013 books were published. There, I called the Hawking-Krauss kind of nothing Void One, and the real nothing I labelled Void Zero. Uh, the latter is the only kind of nothing that can precede a true creation, and it has no physical properties at all. This follows because Big Bang cosmology, if correct, is based on classical general relativity and requires space, time, matter, energy, and the laws of nature all to be brought into existence at the singularity with which it starts. And nothing of a physical nature can exist outside the singularity. Void zero must therefore be non-physical and non-material, and I identified it as the spiritual realm that the Bible calls eternity, quoting Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. For thus says the one, that is God, who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, close quotes. As already mentioned, some cosmologists today argue that the singularity of a Big Bang theory cannot actually happen. Instead, as we go back in time, the universe shrinks to a sufficiently small size that quantum effects take over from classical uh, non-quantum behaviour. At this point, we are left with an unbelievably small seed or egg in which time has no meaning, but which has the potential to become the Big Bang of standard cosmology. I have also pointed out that Vilenkin believes that if it existed, this quantum egg would be unstable and could not therefore be eternal. He also agrees with the contention that some laws of nature would have to be in place already for such a quantum egg to come into and remain in existence. Uh, he says, <coughs> quotes, A quantum creation from nothing has a nice mathematical description, not just words. There's an interesting thing, though. The description of the creation of the universe from nothing is given in terms of the laws of physics. 
that makes you wonder where are these laws? If the laws describe the creation of the universe, that suggests they existed prior to the universe. The question that nobody has any answer to is how to address where these laws came from and why these laws in particular. So there are still a lot of mysteries to keep us working. I must disagree with Belenkin's claim that nobody has any idea how to address where these laws came from, as will appear presently. But he is the only cosmologist I've come across who faces up to the question. His hope that further work within a purely physical worldview might eventually provide an answer is forlorn, however, and that for an obvious reason. Scientific explanations must always appeal to the laws of nature, otherwise they are not scientific. Uh, this is a, an important point, so let me elaborate. What do we mean when we talk about a scientific explanation? We mean that some observation or event can be traced back to the operation of one or more laws of nature. For example, planetary motion, the trajectory of an artillery shell, the weightlessness of astronauts in a space station, and the weight of those same astronauts when they return to Earth, can all be explained in terms of the laws of gravity, either Newton's law or general relativity. By contrast, accounting for Earth's stability in space by invoking turtles fails as a scientific explanation. Not only because we know there's no turtle there, but also because turtles are not laws of nature. Suppose, however, we replace turtles by a strong cosmic magnetic field. Since Earth has a metallic core, this could, in principle, suspend the Earth in space and would offer a scientific explanation because it appeals to known laws of nature. So we put the theory to the test and measure the magnetic field in space around the Earth and find that it is far too weak to override or cancel out the gravitational pull of the Sun. So a scientific explanation can turn out to be false. What it cannot do is dispense with the laws of nature because they are the bedrock on which all science rests. Our perception of these laws may change, of course. We may find that certain laws can be refined or amalgamated into more general or more fundamental laws. We may discover new laws and perhaps one day physicists will find the holy grail of a theory of everything. But such a theory will still be expressed in terms of laws of nature whose origin lies beyond the power of science to explain. Subheading locating the laws of nature. But let's get clear what we mean by laws of nature. They are the rules that describe the way nature behaves. They are thus descriptions of the way the cosmos works 
and can have no natural existence apart from the cosmos. They are an integral part of the created order and are located within that order. How then could they have created the universe in the first place? Which came first, the cosmic chicken or the legal egg? Yet Stephen Hawking claims that because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. I call his reasoning the Cheshire Cat argument, after the iconic cat in Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which vanished, leaving only its smile behind. Those who claim that the laws of nature created nature are observing the universe, the cat, with its face wreathed in smiles, the laws of nature, and then subtracting the cat, leaving only the smiles, the laws, behind, thus arriving at a starting point for their cosmologies. This is fine in children's fiction but hardly admissible in either science or logic. However, for the sake of argument, let us suppose that the laws of nature did somehow pre-exist and were thus available to create it. Two problems arise. Firstly, who or what created the laws of nature? Krauss addresses this problem in the final chapter of a universe from nothing, suggesting that universes can arise spontaneously without the help of specific laws of physics, because at that stage the latter are, quote, random. As a physicist, I have no idea what he means by random laws and can offer no comment except that even random entities must exist if they are to produce effects. But might the laws of nature, or some overarching precursor of these laws as we know them, constitute eternal truths, having an eternal existence, and thus no need to be created? If so, we must ask in what form and medium did they exist? Where exactly might they be located? A helpful analogy is the purchase of a house off plan. <clears throat> uh, this is when someone buys or commits to buy a house that doesn't yet exist, relying solely on the architect's plans. Although the house is not yet built, the plans and drawings specify exactly what will eventually be created. However, the plans must exist in some form or medium, on paper or on a computer disk, for example. But what if there are no such things as paper or computers or any other storage medium where the plans can reside? This surely is a situation for laws that pre-exist the origin of the material universe. There would be no material medium or space in which to inscribe them. So where would they reside? There is, of course, one, and I think only one, answer. They could exist in the conceptual space, in the mind of a cosmic 
architect. This makes a lot of sense because the laws of nature as we know them are fundamentally mathematical in character. And by its very nature, mathematics requires a mind to conceive its concepts and perform its processes. One objector to this argument made the following claim. The laws of nature don't have to reside anywhere. They can just be true in the same way that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true, whether or not it is written down or thought about. But this objection fails because to call something true requires us to define a realm or logical space called truth and distinguish it from the alternative realm of falsehood. This separation is itself a logical process that can only be carried out by a mind. Subheading Conclusion The Necessity of God the only way that laws of nature could pre-exist nature and thus be responsible for creating the universe is that they existed in the mind of a non-material being. This is the logical end point of current atheistic cosmology. The logic can be summarised as follows. 1. Science can only explain things, observations, events, processes, etc., by relating them to the laws of nature. This is the meaning of scientific explanation. Explanations that do not appeal to the laws of nature are not scientific, though they may still be true. 2. This being the case, science cannot explain the origin of laws of nature since any attempt to do so must, by definition, appeal to deeper laws of nature and infinitum. Such laws of nature are, again by definition, descriptions of the way nature, the cosmos, works. Such laws cannot exist if there is no nature for them to describe. They are therefore internal, never external. To the cosmos and so cannot create a cosmos or universe. For the only one possible exception to the previous paragraph is this. The laws of nature could pre-exist creation in the mind of a non-material being who is external to, but is not part of, any material cosmos. Five. The laws would have to reside in a mind because they are uniformly mathematical in character and mathematics consists of mental concepts and processes. 6. True, a creatio ex nihilo, thus requires the existence and activity of a spiritual non-material mind. This is as far as science can take us, not just now, but for all time. To know more about this spiritual architect, we need to look elsewhere.